Someone reported that they were finding, you know, single-use plastic bags in the Marianas Trench, which is one of the deepest places in, in the ocean. And it's kind of remarkable just how far it's traveled. And I, I, I'm a believer that this, this is a particular issue that we, can, we have social capital around and we can actually see changes, that we can see behavioral changes. Meet Anastasia Telesetsky, a professor of law at the University of Idaho. Anastasia has focused much of her law career on international and environmental law, including work on whaling, sustainable fisheries, and climate change. Now she is tackling a new oceanic plague, plastic pollution. Researchers estimate 8 million metric tons of plastic enter the ocean every year. That's roughly the weight of 90 aircraft carriers. To help solve the problem, Anastasia proposes an international ban on most single-use plastics. Welcome, everyone, to The Vandal Theory. Hi, everyone. My name is Lee Cooper, and I'm a science writer here at U of I and your host for The Vandal Theory, a podcast about science and research from the University of Idaho. Throughout the second season of the podcast, we're going to meet U of I researchers and learn about the questions they're trying to answer, the problems they want to solve, and what intrigues them about their research. Anastasia sat down to talk to me about solving single-use plastic pollution in the oceans. Hey, Anastasia, thank you so much for coming in today. Can you introduce yourself for the rest of our audience? Hi, I'm Anastasia Telesetsky. I'm a professor at the University of Idaho College of Law. I work in the Natural Resource and Environmental Law Program. I know you have done a lot of work with uh, fisheries law, things like that. And we know that, you know, in the ocean, everything's connected. But in this case, what you've been studying recently is plastics pollution in the ocean. So how did you get interested in plastics pollution when you started in fisheries? Yeah, sure. No, plastics and fisheries are, of course, connected. I sort of want to preface my remarks by saying if, when we're dealing with the number one problem with the oceans, it really is climate change. So I want, I want to be clear about that, the ocean acidification and the warming of the oceans. That is our biggest problem. But our biggest visible problem is the plastic pollution. And it's something that is in our lifetimes, last few decades. A lot of this is driven, of course, by an increase in population. Um, since I was born, we've had a doubling of the, the human population. And we've had um, the introduction of the kind of the convenience culture. And so those two factors combined lead to um, increasing amounts of, of garbage in the ocean. There is today, just a little anecdote, if you go to Midway Island, if you're fortunate enough to be in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, um, you will arrive at a place that used to be a tropical paradise. Um, today, the, the beaches there are littered with plastic, plastic that is coming off of North American coasts, plastic that's coming off of Asian coasts, and being transported by currents out to one of the most remote islands in the world. And I think I've even seen pictures, maybe not of Midway, but of other similar islands where it you're not talking just about a plastic bottle here, a chips wrapper over there. We're talking about heaps of garbage spread across the entire beach. That's right. I mean, at this point, in terms of the quantities, I mean, researchers are working on these islands to sort of quantify where a lot of this garbage is coming from, you know, because in theory, if you know, I'm a lawyer by trade. In theory, you could try to have some liability associated with it. But at the end of the day, as you said, you've got a bottle, a Dorito wrapper, you know, do we hold the company responsible? Is that is that really the approach that is going to be effective in eliminating the amount of garbage that we're seeing in the oceans? Because I just wanted to comment on just the, the scale of the problem. 
At this point, we have generated 83 billion metric tons of plastic waste, you know, and that, that's, that's kind of a tremendous amount of garbage. So that if you want to think about that, that means that every year along every coastline, um, around the world, we're placing five bags of garbage. So if you can put that as kind of an image, I, I think that's sort of it's a little bit striking. And, and that's, that's coming through rivers. That's coming off the coast from garbage dumps that aren't properly managed. It's coming off fishing boats. It's coming off of cruise liners. There's a variety of sources, but it's all ending up in the ocean. <laughs> and for those of us who are fish eaters, it's ending up in the food chain also. So we definitely have a problem. Yeah, <laughs> how, <we> do. <laughs> did, how, did, how did you get involved in this? What brought this to your doorstep? Sure. Um, I've been looking at this issue for a while, um, but I hadn't been doing any writing or, or, or direct sort of research thinking about it. Um, some of this, I'll be honest, is we're seeing a social norm change. Um, so I'm particularly keen to be part of the solution because I think at this point there's enough social attention on this issue, uh, less so for what I think is really the major issue, ocean acidification, but definitely on this issue where we might be able to see a lot more individuals all the way from school kids, you know, to, to grandmothers who, who care about um, trying to reduce their, their plastic consumption. And for the most part, one of the things that we want to spend a good portion of the rest of this podcast talking about is single-use pr- plastics, That's right. correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's all sorts of plastics in the ocean. So a, a, another major source, which um, is, is not really going to be the subject of our, our conversation today, are, are the, the fishing industry. The fishing industry, of course, uses right. a lot of plastic line um, in, to catch fish. Those nets are floating in the ocean right now. I mean, fishing is a, is a, is a difficult industry. You hit a storm, you lose your net. They don't always retrieve their nets, the, the uh, fishing crews. And so those are floating free. So let's just make sure that everyone understands the definition of single-use plastics. Right. In this case, we're talking the, the water bottles, the Dorito bags. Sure. What are some of the ones that maybe people might not think of when they think single-use plastics? Well, most of it's the packaging. I okay. mean, that's the primary okay. concern here. Because when you're thinking about single-use plastics, there are single-use... Plastic is this kind of magic material. It's magic because you can form it into just about anything. And so my particular concern has been on packaging materials because at least, you know, the majority of the industry, that's the largest market. And it's the largest growing market right now. So we're looking at sort of by 2050, possibly about 34 billion metric tons of, mm-hmm. of uh, packaging that, that will be out there, hopefully in landfills or being properly disposed of. But a lot of it, for various reasons, you know, having, makes their way downhill. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because it is in many ways a legal issue because it's a rule of law issue, whether you've got enough institutions and structure and ability to actually manage waste. Other than, you know, litter being unsightly and, and what are some of the other ecological reasons not to have this stuff floating all over the place? Sure. I mean, there, there's health implications. And, and so those are human health implications and environmental health implications. Um, plastic, uh, when it's floating in the ocean, is a surface. That means that we'll have organisms attach itself, them attached mm. to, to the plastic. They'll be transported, you know, from one habitat to another habitat. Um, we have issues with disease that can be uh, transmitted. So a raft for bacteria uh, and viruses absolutely, and all sorts of absolutely. stuff. Okay. And then, of course, the 
consumption so that we're seeing, I mean, the somewhat famous pictures are seabirds that consume everything from, you know, cigarette uh, lighters uh, to plastic straws that are, are impacting, you know, a variety of, of species, seabirds, um, marine mammals, turtles, and fish, um, particularly a lot of the, the larger predator fish. So it's in our food chain now. And, and it's really, I mean, what's quite remarkable is I relatively recently, someone reported that they were finding, you know, single-use plastic bags in the Marianas Trench, which is one of the deepest places in, in the ocean. And it's kind of remarkable just how far it's traveled. And I, I, I'm a believer that this, this is a particular issue that we, can, we have social capital around. And we can actually see changes, that we can see behavioral changes. Okay. So let's get to uh, what your idea is. Sure. What do you want to, what do you think is the best solution for solving our single-use plastic Okay. Use. <laughs> At this point in time, we need a global ban on the production of certain types of single-use packaging, you know, and that is not all all single-use plastics. This is not to encompass, for example, those who hospital, some of the uses for hospitals that require certain hygienic standards, or for perhaps large transport of certain kinds of food products. These are about sort of consumer single-use plastics. These are what I will deem or term the unnecessary plastics, the plastic stir for your styrofoam cup of coffee, you know. Um, those are things that we have substitutes and alternatives for. And so a lot of this idea comes out of thinking about what we've already done globally. Very significantly, we have combated ozone-depleting substances. So with the opening, the recognition by uh, research scientists that we had an opening uh, in our sort of ozone layer that was allowing through a lot of ultraviolet rays, causing for particular regions of the world, for example, um, Australia and New Zealand, incredible sort of numbers of uh, skin cancer cases. We, we saw that a global effort to say, what can we do about these products that are useful and cheap and do something that will eliminate them from our supply chains? And we actually, we have been relatively successful uh, this is one of those treaties that we have nearly um, universal participation in. And we have a lot of, this is quite significant, we have business buy-in, that, that businesses are, are on board with changing the use of those substances. I'd like to see that exact sort of same idea. Yeah, same idea applied here with single-use plastics, you know, where we're going to have alternative packaging solutions. We're not eliminating the packaging industry. <laughs> We're eliminating certain kinds of products that are currently feeding the packaging industry. So for me, that's that's actually one of the, one of the keys. I, I think we need an international treaty. And I actually believe that we will see something in the coming months or years. I, I think that some of this leadership is likely to come from countries that are part of the global south. So these would be countries perhaps from, from the African continent, possibly from South Asia, because we've already seen leadership in, in these areas. We've seen the government of Kenya taking on a single-use plastic bag ban. That's has teeth to it, most importantly has teeth to it, with fines and, and uh, arrests associated with production. Is that because these countries have more of a on-the-ground visible problem with these 
single-use plastics or or they just picked it up as a as a cause? No, I, I think that's part of it. They, they, they've seen that they cannot manage the levels of waste. They do not have that infrastructure available. And they realize that there are alternatives. You know, um, we're seeing, for example, Pakistan has taken on uh, for Islamabad. They've tried multiple times to put in a, a plastic use ban and they're continuing forward. They're not abandoning it because of exactly, you know, the idea that there are indeed health implications. You know, there are implications for existing infrastructure so that when you have a climate related event like a flood and you have it filling up into certain areas that flood water was not expected, it's taking plastic um, garbage, it's putting it into water systems. It's it's a sort of a, a compounding problem. And the important aspect here is it's a visible problem. It's something that, you know, I, I think there is sort of an instinctual reaction that we don't like to see lots of, of, of single-use garbage, you know, in our environment. It's aesthetically unpleasing, and it's it's more importantly a health issue. Well, and it seems like, I mean, it's, as you said, it's a visual problem. It's a, it's a here and now yeah. problem as opposed to some of the other aspects yes. of climate change that are That's very right. much in the future. But it has a relation um, to some of the drivers of climate change because plastics are, of course, today produced primarily using fossil fuel. So you've got a combination of oil and coal and, and natural gas being used to produce, you know, whatever it might be, the um, polystyrenes, the, the, the polyethylenes, you know, all of these um, different plastics. And the challenge, of course, and, and we can talk about this, is everyone says, well, we just need to get the recycling right. <laughs> <laughs> but but that but that's not that's not a, a, that's not an adequate response. We thought we thought until China made a decision a couple years ago to no longer allow the import of foreign plastics for recycling into China. Well, and before you go on, just to just to be clear, a, a lot of America's plastics went to China. Absolutely. Like, no question. It's not we're doing all of our own recycling. It does go abroad. That is exactly right. And so today we're looking for, for sort of new markets for this plastic. So we're sending things to Indonesia. We're sending things to the Philippines. We're sending things to Malaysia, where these nations do not have recycling centers that are capable of taking this level of, of plastic garbage. Um, so not a sustainable not, solution. It's not being recycled. As simple as that, it's not oh. being recycled. You know, well, that kind of goes against what. <laughs> no, it is ending up absolutely in, 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 in dumps or equally problematic for these communities. It's in being incinerated and not being incinerated with best technologies. So we're seeing a lot of, you know, toxic ash. Yeah, that's um, almost worse. Yeah. Okay. So you, you have this sort of problem that we have the global north countries are, are you know, big consumers. Um, of a lot of unnecessary plastic. And so that becomes where I think this concept of a ban is, is quite significant. And, and I know when you talk about ban, you know, everyone wants to Hackles have- go up. It does. Everyone wants to have, they want to have an incentive. They want to have um, something that strikes as a, a positive, you know, they want to receive something. They don't want to give up something. And yet what I want to be clear is it's not really giving anything up. You know, we have incredibly intelligent designers out there. We have really smart business people who are able to respond to this kind of challenge. So this is actually potentially a very big opportunity for, for growth in 
um, at least certain areas of industry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's in how we redesign products to be reusable, you know, because we've had for a long time, particularly in design, the business model has been for things to be disposable. Because the idea is that things that are disposed of, people have to buy more of. Um, so one can reconceive, you know, sort of high quality products. But we also have different ways of delivering products. So there is some really interesting work being done by some um, larger uh, food manufacturing companies here in the United States who are investing in a, what I'm going to call a packaging chain of reusable packaging, uh, where at least one of the proposals right now is to have ice cream come in tins. Mm. That would then be transported in these tins. You would have a deposit on your tin. You'd return that. And then the tins would go back to be properly washed and uh, sanitized with new product put back in, creating, in that case, additional jobs. So more of a shift than a complete that's right. no, that's right. annihilation of something. <laughs> that's right. You know, And it's also a challenge for people to think about their own habits. Mm-hmm. So um, I've taken a challenge for the last year, and I encourage others to do this just to see how much plastic I'm consuming in light of trying to live a, a relatively low plastic life. I have a bin in my um, in my home where I'm collecting all the the plastic that enters my life, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, and it's a challenge. It's a what challenge. Have, what What have you noticed from taking that? What kind of take away messages? Well, have I, you... I, I'm purchasing uh, less things online, given the kind of things that the packaging I, that I receive them in. I'm, I'm looking to use, in my, many cases, more regional and local suppliers who I can work with in terms of receiving my products. I use my own. <laughs> packaging when I can. And I, I, for me, it's been frankly liberating. We're at a sort of inflection point here where I think we really have seen the damage that we have done as, as, as a species with this kind of miracle <laughs> material. And I do think we're, we're beginning to think about what our relationship is with the, the, the larger natural environment and frankly with each other with each other, because we want our communities to be places, you know, that aren't filled with a whole lot of, of, of chemicals that last for, you know, decades and decades, which is essentially what plastic is, you know. Well, so you put this idea out there in uh, an article on The Conversation, which I'll link to in the show notes. Great. What happens now? Do you, do you send this along to somebody else? Are you working with others to talk about this on an international scale? I, I am, actually. I'm working with um, colleagues at the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, which is a large international group that includes folks who work in government ministries, who work um, with NGOs, work with academic institutions. And we are um, beginning to figure out what would what would the content of a treaty actually look like? You know, what, what would the, the text look like? If we're going to see what we can draft, we know that there is some interest in this from some national leaders who see this as a way to sort of help them to achieve their their national goals. Because one of the big challenges here is that we're living in a globalized world. Many, many of these products that we receive are, have relatively long supply chains um, that frankly involve a lot of single-use plastic. The idea is that if you can have a global treaty, you'll have a group, a subgroup of of countries that are committed to doing this, and at least with what we saw with the Montreal Protocol and the Ozone Treaty, the big teeth to the treaty was no trade. You weren't to trade with countries that were continuing to produce ozone-depleting substances. 
This would be the same. You're not to trade with countries that are continuing to, to sort of produce lots of unnecessary <laughs> single-use plastics. Now, one of the things I do want to make, uh, um, I think is really important um, for listeners, is this is not about killing jobs. This is about rethinking. This is about shifting. And I think one of the things that's quite important in any treaty is to think about the fact that if you're going to have such a ban, there are going to be people that this is a livelihood. And you're going to need to think about how do we address that? You know, how do we provide sort of alternative livelihoods? How do we help make transitions into new packaging methods, new packaging um, materials, potentially new materials? A um, lot of research going on in new materials, I know. Um, we aren't seeing yet really commercially viable um, but there's a lot of interesting things that people are doing with plastics that are made out of um, fruit waste, for example, um, something that is decomposes faster. Um, there is work being done that's called bioplastics, um, and some of that may prove um, that may prove quite promising. Um, so this, to me, is an opportunity. You know, um, this is not about deprivation, <laughs> and it's a chance for us to really sort of heal part of our relationship with with the oceans and, and frankly, with our, our larger natural environments. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate you taking sure. the time today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks. If you want to learn more about Anastasia and her proposed ban on single-use plastics, visit our website, uidaho.edu slash vandaltheory, for a link to her article in The Conversation. I also want to let you know about a few other U of I research projects that might interest you. Catherine Himes and U of I's McClure Center for Public Policy Research have initiated the Idaho Climate Economy Impacts Assessment, a two-year project to evaluate the economic impact of climate change in Idaho. Researchers will synthesize all available data on projected changes to Idaho's environment and then identify how these changes impact major economic sectors, including agriculture, energy, human health, recreation and tourism, land and infrastructure. U of I doctoral student Andrew McGuire was awarded the Future Investigators in NASA Earth and Space Science and Technology Fellowship. The fellowship will support McGuire's Arctic research, studying how efficiently trees use light for fixing carbon dioxide at the forest tundra ecotone, which is where the trees of the boreal forest meet the treeless Arctic plains. And research at U of I often takes place beyond Idaho's borders. Check out our website, uidaho.com edu slash explorers 2019 to watch our students who during the summer investigated everything from antelope diets in Mozambique to the logistics of building a boarding school in Togo. All right, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to The Vandal Theory. You can visit us on our website at uofi.edu slash vandal theory for more details about all of the research discussed today, read our show notes, email me with comments, and most importantly, subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play, so pick your favorite and tune in. And we'd really appreciate it if you rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast and learn all about the amazing work here at U of I. I'm Lee Cooper, and thanks for joining me. <laughs>